Hey, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians at the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week, we're talking about books about books. <gasps> Yay. Yay. <laughs> so, Anne, I love books about books, as you well know. I do. Why don't you love books about books? Okay, in theory, I do. In my head, I do. I think every time we've talked, we've mentioned books about books, I've been excited yes. about that idea. And then in reality, I read them, and I don't like them very much. So I don't, I think that, I think what I have found is I only like a particular type of book that is about books. Okay. And and the books I've picked are kind of that that theme where it's it's still very plot heavy okay. and it's talking about maybe a, a um, fictional book, mm-hmm. but it still is sort of centered around scholarship okay. and academia. Okay. But if it's a book that's like a book about a book lover, it feels like there's just a lot of name dropping okay. of books okay. and then not much plot that okay. goes with it. I, I feel like there's a lot of... Th- filler when okay. I read books about books okay. that will infuriate me. Okay. <laughs> so, and I, and I wouldn't have expected that yeah. from myself because I, I am like you or it just sounds like the yeah. ultimate right. like meta yes. text of right. everything I love. But, but then my experiences of reading a few in the past few years yeah. have, have not really panned out okay. in that way. So yeah, I don't know why that is for like, I, 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 I know why from yeah. my experience, but I, it seems like I could just sort of forget that and enjoy yeah. hearing about someone yeah. who also loves to read. But yeah. for some reason, it, it usually makes me think I want more from this yeah. that I'm not getting. So interesting. Um, although I did just read uh, Magpie Murders, oh, which yes. I will probably reserve for my favorites of the year yeah. episode. And that talks that has a lot of book name dropping, uh-huh. but it also has a very dedicated plot. Okay. So um, that one was was really great for me to right. read about a book about books. So. Um, yeah. It's fascinating. It me. makes me laugh every time I, I write reviews for, for books about books and I don't like them. And you, you're like, you just don't, you just don't like, thing. yeah, just recognize yeah. it. Because I like any book about books, basically not mm-hmm. any, probably I'm sure somebody could find something I don't like, but I like nonfiction books about books, like yes. where people like we've talked about uh, the end of your life book club before. Uh-huh. I think we've talked about, I do tend to love those. I love yeah. those, but I also love any, well, yeah. I mean, I think any, any book that like I talked about not too long ago, that book, how to find love in a bookshop mm-hmm. that was, you know, I love those sorts of books and I love one of them that you're going to talk about today. So I don't want to spoil what it is mm-hmm. that I love. Like I just like books that take place in a world where the characters like books or yeah. it revolves around books or yeah. something. I don't know. I just love it. Love it. Love it. Can't, can't define why I just do just sort of like you can't define why not. I can't define why yeah. I do. But still, even if you were to tell, if we were to do a upcoming books uh-huh. episode, a book preview episode, and you were to tell me about a book about books, I'd get really excited. Yeah. I know I would, uh-huh. but so often my experience has not been to love it in the end. I just need to read some more. I'll find some. Just read all the books. Yeah. All right. What's your first one that you do like? My first pick is a book I could have talked about on my all-time favorites uh, episode because I adore this book. It's The 13th Tale by Diane Setterfield. I know so many people that love this book. It's amazing. 
It's about a young woman named Margaret Lee, who is the daughter of an, an antiquarian um, bookseller. Is that the right phrase for yeah. it? Yeah. When I wrote this down, it seemed right, and now it's looking weird to me. Anyway, <laughs> um, so because of her upbringing, she, she grew up basically in the bookshop that mm. her father owned. And so she grew up very solitary and isolated, and she's fixated on the fact that she had a twin that died in infancy. And so she's she doesn't have any memory of this, obviously, mm-hmm. but she's always sort of felt this loss in her life. And so to compensate, she's turned to the world of books for companionship. And she has also done some work as an amateur biographer, so she's, she's very much surrounded by books. And so she's startled when she receives a a handwritten letter from Vida Winter, who is a prolific and well-loved novelist in Britain, and she's asking Margaret to write her biography. Vida Winter is, um, this is a fictional author, she feels so real to Uh me that I had to Uh double-check when I read this book to Uh make sure she wasn't real. But she is, in the book, she's a very famous author, and she um, is also famous for being very evasive when she's asked about her past. And so she's all she's very often told these elaborate, conflicting stories about her life when she is interviewed by journalists. And so it's kind of strange that she now wants to have a biography written about her. her. Um, so even though she's written dozens of novels, Margaret hasn't read any of them. And she um, they just had never really sparked her interest. And so she finds a copy of Vida's book called 13 Tales of Change and Desperation that's in her father's bookshop. And as she reads, she's completely overwhelmed with love for this book. She falls in love with the writing style. It has this kind of beguiling, spellbinding quality to it. And she finishes and she realizes there realizes that, that there were only 12 stories in the book. And so she finds out that only a, a handful of copies were printed with this original title before it was changed to Tales of Change and Desperation, um, omitting the 13. And so this is why her father has a copy because it's such a rare book. And there's this mystery of the missing 13th tale that has been an intriguing puzzle for fans throughout this writer's life. So Margaret is intrigued and she decides to meet Vida who tells Margaret that she's terminally ill and that she needs to, to finally tell the truth before she dies. Margaret has a hard time believing that Vida will be honest with her, but she's promised a ghost story about twins. And this is the thing that makes her decide to take this job. So the perspective then shifts to Vida's and she tells a gothic story that's full of dark secrets and family betrayals and it pretty much has my name written across the top of it as something that's perfect for me. It's just, I love this book so much. I've listened to it the first time that I read it and it was so enchanting and then I've read it in print since then and I I loved it just as much. And it's deeply influenced by Jane Eyre which has a similar tone and it's referenced several times but it also shows the amazing way that books will fill emotional gaps in our lives. I remember the first time I read it that I felt like Vita Winter had to be patterned to some extent after Isaac Dinesen, who's my favorite author, and I've talked about her books before on this podcast. I feel like they kind of have a, a similar writing style, and they also were, um, she, Isaac Dinesen was known for being elusive and creating a persona um, of how she wanted to be seen that wasn't always the truth. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of a complex structure to the book that seem, that seems strange in the moment, but as you're reading, it makes sense. And it has a very satisfying conclusion, and it's haunting and wonderful and mysterious, and it is perfect. I love it so much. It's called The Thirteenth Tale by Diane Setterfield. I agree wholeheartedly. Right. So good. 
All right. My first one is nonfiction. It's called My Life with Bob. Flawed heroine keeps book of books, plot ensues by Pamela Paul. This just came out at the beginning of May. So hopefully if you are a big lover of books about books, this still will be a new one for you. Pamela Paul is the editor of the New York Times Book Review. And when she was 16 years old, she began keeping a list of the books she read in a notebook that she called her book of books or Bob. (laughs) And... As she goes to college and she travels the world and she marries and gets a divorce and then she marries again and she becomes a mother. And throughout her career, which eventually led to her becoming the editor of the New York Times Book Review, she tracks what she is reading. And it's just literally almost a list of books. Like at one point she talks about she tried to keep more detailed information about mm-hmm. it, but then really that didn't work. So it's just she there are photos of what her journal looks like. Oh. And it's just she'll say like... March slash April of 2007. And then it'll be a list of books that she read during that time. So it's, mm. it's just this ongoing list in a notebook. The, the book, this book that I'm talking about is part memoir and part book recommendation source, as you would imagine any book like this would be. I was a little bit concerned when I started it that it would be all serious literature, mm-hmm. like hoity-toity, you know, like looking down yeah, yeah, and like the trash that I read. Um, <laughs> Uh, but she really, because you know, New York Times. Book, oh, thank you. But you know, like I like a wide variety and yeah. genres that don't show up in the New York Times book review. Yeah. So I was concerned about not concerned is the wrong word, but just thought you know maybe there wouldn't be that much in it there that I would think, oh, I need to read this book. Mm-hmm. But she reads a really wide variety of books. She talks about being in the hospital after giving birth, reading The Hunger Games, and so oh my gosh, that's, <laughs> what a book to read after giving birth and. And and I think that if you are a reader, I'm guessing if you are listening to this podcast, you are, you will identify with how what is happening in her life dictates what she wants to read and how she can look back through Bob and put herself immediately back in the place and time of what she was doing when she was reading that particular book. I know mm-hmm. I do when I look back on a book, even just seeing a book title, I can immediately bring to mm-hmm. mind like where I was when I was reading it or what was going on in my life. And the general feeling behind even why she wrote this book is that as readers, what we read really defines who we are and what we choose really says a lot about what we want in life Mm -hmm. and like what we are hoping for. So I think I really enjoyed reading it. I got, of course, a lot of books added to my Mm -hmm. TBR that I want to read. Um, And I think it will inspire you if you don't already to keep your own list of books in whatever way you might. I started doing this about 15 years ago, keeping a list of everything I read, but I so wish I had started when I was 16. I wish I could go back all that time and see everything I had read. So that is called My Life with Bob, Flawed Heroine Keeps Book of Books, Plot Ensues by Pamela Paul. Okay. My next book is The Book of Blood and Shadow by Robin Wasserman. And it's about a girl named Nora who's recovering from the loss of her brother after he he died in a car accident in which he was at fault, and this accident killed another student at their high school. So in order to start over, she transfers to a private school on a Latin scholarship. And that sounds kind of far-fetched, but her her father is a Latin teacher, so she's been studying it since she was a kid. So when she's there, she meets a guy that's named Chris and his girlfriend, Adrian, and she finally starts to feel grounded in her life, but she's still sort of the third wheel in because they're they're dating, and, and that's just things happen. Um, but then Chris's friend Max joins the group and Nora finally starts to feel like everything in her life is falling into place. And so they fall in love and, and um, 
she's found her people. So Nora, Max, and Chris become research assistants for a professor who is a, who's obsessed with cracking a code in the Voynich manuscript, um, which is actually a real illuminated manuscript that's owned by Yale and has never been solved. And Nora is fascinated by it, but instead she's tasked with translating 400-year-old letters by a woman named Elizabeth Weston, who's the daughter of the man that the professor believes once solved the code. And Nora isn't very interested in this project. She wants to be on the real thing. And and so um, she sort of begrudgingly accepts this. But as she translates, she begins to feel this strong connection to Elizabeth, and she sees a lot of parallels in their lives across the span of time. So she ends up stealing one of these letters because she feels such a strong connection to her. And soon after this, the professor is attacked and he suffers a stroke and the manuscript and all the remaining letters are stolen. And Nora feels terrible about this, that she's stolen this one letter. So she confesses what she did to Chris. And this leads to a series of, of events that lead to his, or the end in his death with Max as the prime suspect in Chris's murder. Nora is going to do anything she can to prove Max's in Max's innocence, so she begins to search for the lost manuscript, and the trail leads her to Prague and to secret societies that are also trying to solve the code. I love that this incorporated a real unsolved code into a fictional story, which I thought was a really cool idea, and it's been described in many reviews that I've read as as the Da Vinci Code for Teenagers, um, which also has a real code in it that is not solved. But I enjoyed it much more than I enjoyed the Da Vinci Code um, because the characters have more depth and it deals with loss and betrayal and friendship in a way that you don't find in the Da Vinci Code or any of the sort of knockoff books that came yeah. from from that publishing phenomenon. And I think that this this was sort of when I was writing about this, it sort of helped me to see why I or the types of books about books that I like because it's it's kind of more about the the text versus just the people that mm-hmm. love books. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of this different slant to mm-hmm. it, but there's still a love of of literature mm-hmm. and a love of reading and a love of scholarship that that I'm very drawn to. So, and it's in Prague, and I love Prague, mm-hmm. and so I really did some wonderful book tourism <laughs> through, the, through reading this. It was very fun for me. And it's called The Book of Blood and Shadow by Robin Wasserman. My next one is. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Marianne Schaefer and Annie Barrows. And I was reluctant to include this one. But then I thought this book was really popular about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And maybe by now it need, it's been long enough that it needs to reach a new audience of right. people that haven't read it. So have you read this? I haven't, as usual. <laughs> so many books I know about, but I still haven't read. This was in that like dark time where you didn't read the popular. Oh, for sure. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, this was everywhere yeah. in like 2007 or 2008 yeah. when it came out. Lots of book clubs read this. It's an epistolary novel, which you know we love. Uh, And it takes place in 1946. And Juliet Ashton is a journalist who is sick of covering the war in the lighthearted way that she was asked to during World War II and and the aftermath. Like Because there were so many depressing stories Mm -hmm. about the war, they were looking for something a little lighter in the newspaper. And so that's what she was tasked with. But now she is... Sick of that. She is searching for the next topic for her book, and she finds a letter written to her by uh, Mr. Dawsey Adams, who has a copy of a book that she used to own, and he saw her name written inside. And so he decided to reach out to her to see if she knows of any other books by this author because he really liked it. So 
The two strike up a correspondence, and Juliet learns that Dazi is part of the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which is a small group of citizens of the tiny island of Guernsey who use their club as a way to get together without raising the suspicions of the Germans who were occupying the island during the war. So Guernsey now, I think, is more well-known in part because of this book, yeah. but uh, Guernsey was an area, uh, you know, it's part of the UK, but... It, and you don't think of the UK being occupied during the war, but this is a little island that was. Mm. She starts, she is intrigued by this and um, starts corresponding with other members of the group and eventually travels to Guernsey to meet them and hear the story of the, their war experiences in person. And it's just a completely charming and moving book. And it's written in a really engaging style. We, I mean, epistolary is like mm-hmm. can't get any better to me. And it's a really quick read, and it's, it would be great if you're sitting on your porch on a weekend afternoon and just could spend a few t- hours just sinking into the story and living with these characters that are really vibrantly drawn. And it, it's a little peek into history that I didn't know about. So that's called The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Marianne Schaefer and Annie Barrows. I need and to put so aside good. a year where I just catch up on books yes. that... I ought to have read at yes. the time. But I Can I make read. that reading list for yes. <laughs> I also just thought of something else of maybe why books about books are, are hard for me. Because okay. so often the protagonists are, are portrayed as um, like removed from from society and oh. they're like that they don't want to be part of a social group. So they end up retreating into books. And I sometimes have a hard time with that portrayal. Maybe because I identify with it sometimes, and so maybe that's troubling to me. But I also think that that that's a trope that sort of needs to go away. Yeah, that's interesting. I would never have put that together, but I can see I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so my last book is "The Year of Reading Dangerously: How Fifty Great Books and Two Not So Great Ones Saved My Life" by Andy Miller. And this was developed from a blog that's written by a journalist who has a family and a very good life. I think he's he's British. Uh, I think so. I feel like he is. Um, So he has no complaints with his life, but he feels like something was missing. And he identifies it as realizing that he feels like he never has time to read anymore and that he always can come up with excuses to not get back to it or to not read any of the books that he has intended on reading. Sort of those great books that, that sometimes we feel more pressure to read than actually want to read. And he's even pretended to read books that he hasn't read, and he decides that he needs to change that. So he starts a year-long project to reignite his love of reading, which um, year-long projects are very trendy, but yes. I'm always willing to oh, go along do. with them. I'm so into those books. I love those. They're so much fun. So he creates a list of books that he's he, – I think they're all they're things that he's always wanted to read. It's been a while since I've read this, so I can't remember exactly how he develops his list. But he there's sort of this cross-section of – classic literature with some cult guy books thrown in. And those are actually the books I didn't, I hadn't heard of. They were, I don't know if they're more famous overseas than, than they are here, but I wasn't aware of them. And then he has a couple of popular fiction books thrown in too. And not every book that he reads gets a full essay in the memoir. And some essays are definitely stronger than others, but his overall message is that books can center us and they, um, like you were saying earlier, they, they help us to see who we are and who we want to be. And so the the tone is really fun. He has a, a really lighthearted way of writing about this for the most part. And there's a particular essay when he contrasts Moby Dick with the Da Vinci Code that's very, very funny. 
but he's also really able to find intriguing slants that convey insight into life or some insight into human nature. And I, I think he's a really talented writer. Sometimes I think the biblio memoirs are only fun if you've read the books that they're talking about. And otherwise it's just kind of reading words that don't make sense to you. But I remember, um, I think the first essay is about the master and, and Margarita mm-hmm. and I've never read that, but I remember just being enthralled by his essay about it. So um, even if you haven't read the source material that he's talking about, that you shouldn't necessarily skip those sections because I think his writing is really great often in, in those sections. It's called The Year of Reading Dangerously, How 50 Great Books and Two Not-So-Great Ones Saved My Life by Andy Miller. All right. My last one is Parnassus on Wheels by Christopher Morley. Oh, I forgot about that Have book. you read this? Yes, I love it's that so book. Good. So it came out in 1917. Yeah. And it is about a brother and a sister, Andrew and Helen, who live on a farm in the Midwest. And so far, they've managed just fine. Helen is what's considered an old spinster at the age of 39. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, And she worked as a governess before moving in with her brother and helping him run his farm. And Andrew begins writing books about the joys of living in the country and quite unexpectedly becomes this celebrity author. He Everybody just eats this book up. So while he is off promoting his book and looking for inspiration for his next book, Helen is left at home to keep the farm going. And she is just none too pleased about that. She feels <laughs> like he takes her for granted and she is stuck there while he's out living the life. And so one day a man driving a cart arrives at their house and he explains that he is a traveling bookseller and he knows of her brother um, and is interested like wants to know if her brother would be interested in buying his traveling book cart. And Helen is like, I don't care about my brother. I'm going to buy the book cart because (laughs) I want to have an adventure and I want to go from town to town selling books to people. So that's that. She buys, she takes her life savings, buys the book cart and leaves the house, leaves a note for her brother. Like I'm, I'm leaving. So the bookseller with, stays with her to show her the ropes and the two get to know each other and they have some adventures in the book cart and they get to know all these people in these towns where they stop and recommend books to people. And it is just such a sweet story about the way books touch people's lives and bring a world of adventure to mm-hmm. this, what you would think would be like a sedate life. Um, and it's really short. It's like a novella, really. It's only, yeah. I think, like 115 or 120 pages, but there is... A sequel to it, which I have right. not read yet, which I think is more of a mystery. If yeah, I, I think is it the haunted bookshop. Yeah, the name of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I've read them both, but I can't okay. remember. I forgot that I'd read this book, uh, and so yeah, I, okay. I don't remember the second one well enough to talk about it, but but, um, yes. but it's just such a lovely read. Like it's such a great story. I love the story of a woman who's dissatisfied. With, you know, she could have just stayed at the farm and done yeah. what she did. Instead, she try. She decides to just grab this opportunity and and run with it. And and of course, there's like the two develop a relationship with each other, a friendship as they get to know each other and you get to learn why the bookseller wants to sell his book cart and what his aspirations are and what her aspirations are. It's just wonderful. It's called Parnassus on Wheels by Christopher Morley. Uh, I want to reread that now. It's so great. It's a great book. All right. So we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. Actually read this a few weeks ago, but I 
didn't want to talk about the book that I'm reading this week um, yet. I want to save it for other stuff. So, okay. um, so I read The Education of Margot Sanchez by Lilia Rivera. And this is a perfect summer book. We were, we were talking about mm-hmm. summer reads, I think, two episodes ago. Sure. Some, at some point recently. And this would fit in really well with that theme. So Margot Sanchez is a teenager from the Bronx who goes to a private school and has become best friends with the super rich snobby girls. And she'll do anything to be just like them. But this unfortunately leads her to steal her dad's credit card to buy clothes so because they expect her to dress a certain mm-hmm. way if she's going to be friends with them. And she's caught, of course, and her dad forces her to work for the summer in the supermarket that he owns. This is the family business mm-hmm. that um, they have, I think, two two stores. So um, so when they ask, when her friends ask what her dad does, she says that they own a chain of of supermarkets. But it's really, she kind of, pretends to be a little more affluent than she is. And so she has to, to pay off her debt through, through working for the summer. And she's completely devastated and, and indignant about this. But she is hoping that if she's able to pay everything off, that her dad will let her go to the end of summer party that's in the Hamptons with all of these rich kids where her crush will be. And she knows that, that finally she'll be able to get together with him at this party. So as soon as she starts working, she meets a handsome and charming young man uh, named Moises, I think is, I don't know how you pronounce his name actually, but I'll say that. Um, and he's petitioning to save the neighborhood from developers. So he has a very different outlook on life than than Margot does. And she starts to feel torn between these new friends um, at her school and and kind of everything that she's pushing for to become just like them. And she, but she sort of misses the relationships that she's left behind at home in her neighborhood. But she really has no intention of letting go of all the work that she's done to cultivate this school persona. So there's lots of family drama and she's on the outs with her parents, but she's willing to lie and cheat and steal in order to get her to this Hamptons party. Mm -hmm. It felt very true to being a teenager Mm -hmm. to me where it feels like your parents are trying to ruin your life mm-hmm. and you'll die if you don't get to go to some social event yes. that you have your heart set on. Because you would, You right? would. You would literally die. <laughs> I think that this book is a very common story to read, but usually it's exclusively about white girls. Mm-hmm. And so I really loved seeing this type of story with a Latina girl. Mm-hmm. And it seems like in my my reading of teen fiction that a lot of books that feature people of color as the main characters are very issues oriented. Yes, I was just thinking. Yeah, that. and I think that the, it's definitely important to have those books, and they're necessary, and they open up conversations mm-hmm. and help people to see issues through fiction that you wouldn't necessarily understand yeah. if you're just reading articles about the same topics. But sometimes you just want an angsty teen book, <laughs> and so it's neat to see that this genre is starting to incorporate other types yes. of people besides just white girls. Right. And I thought it was very fun. It was it was a great intro to summer book I think it was right when I read it was was like in early May so it was the right time of year for it it's called The Education of Margot Sanchez by Lilia Rivera that I want to read that now after a description I was kind of put off by the cover I don't know why something about yeah, the, cover the cover didn't cover appeal to me seem it seems more like a gritty S- serious yeah, yeah something yeah yeah it doesn't which it, there's some there's a lot of serious things that happen in the book yeah. it's it sort of morphs a little bit more into some issues, but you also those would be real issues yeah. in this situation. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think I think okay. you'd enjoy it. Yeah, I'll try. It. What I read this week is once again an audiobook because I just <laughs> tend to talk about this. It's K 
Caraval by Stephanie Garner. Um, and the narrator, the, what, the reason I decided to listen to this as an audiobook instead of read it as a print book was the narrator is the same one who did the Cinder books by Marissa oh, Meyer. Her name yeah. is Rebecca Soler. Yeah. And I just loved those yeah, Marissa I Meyer books. I listened to all of those yeah. that way. They're really good. So Rebecca Soler has a voice that really fits young characters, I think, mm-hmm. in a teen, like not, not children, but definitely has a higher pitched voice yeah. and it fits teen teens very well. So this book is about Scarlet Dragna, who has never left the tiny island she grew up on with her sister and her extremely cruel father. He is awful. But she dreams of attending Caraval, which is a once a year performance where the audience participates in the show. There are mm-hmm. participants as well as viewers. And... There's a lot of mystery surrounding about what exactly this is, and it's referred to as a game, but nobody knows exactly what the game is or what the prize is, but there's sort of a sense of magic mm-hmm. about it and mystery, and it just feels like she knows that it's this multi-day spectacle full of these magical elements, and there's some sort of treasure hunt involved. And this just is, intrigues her, and she just wants to go. It intrigues but me her, too. I know, I know. But her father would never, never allow her to go. So Scarlett is days away from being married off to someone she has never met. Now, she has exchanged letters with him, and so she thinks she knows what kind of person he is. But it's an arranged marriage where her father picked him out for her. And then she receives an invitation to attend Caraval along with her sister, whose name is Tella. The two of them are dying to go. They're just desperate to go. And so they strike a deal with a mysterious sailor to whisk them away without telling their father with the understanding that it will be over by the time of Scarlet's wedding. So she can be back in order to proceed as planned there, but that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity that they want to take. So, and they know that if their father finds out there's guaranteed punishment, in fact, it's laid out very early in the story, exactly how he punishes them. And it's not pleasant. So once they arrive, Tella is kidnapped by the mastermind of the show, and Scarlet must track her down while also playing the game. But then it seems like maybe tracking her down is the game, and maybe that's what everybody is doing that's hmm. there, is trying to track down her sister. You're rep- as a reader, me as a listener, and Scarlet, you're repeatedly told you can't believe anything that you see or hear in this game, that you can't trust anything. But as she goes along, it's hard to distinguish what is reality from what is fake for the game. And, you, and you're meant to be disoriented, and she's meant to be disoriented. It has a hint of the Night Circus, which I loved. Hmm. I think I talked about the Night yeah, Circus at one point as one of my favorites. favorites. Yeah. And it's a unique premise in YA. There's a lot of sort of fantasy novels in YA, but nothing that hits the same note, I don't think, of this very kind of ethereal like magical mystery thing that it has. And it ends with a setup for book two. So (gasps) we know that there will be at least one one additional book in this set in this world. And this world is um, so fully imagined and, and I just loved it. And in fact, at the end of the audiobook, a little extra treat, there's an interview with the author where she talks about, she didn't always know where the story was going and she didn't always, as she was writing, know what was real and what wasn't. So that way it, it makes you as a reader understand like you're you aren't supposed to be able to figure it all out right off the bat there is supposed to be a sense of uncertainty yeah. and disorientation and um but it's just it was a, such a fun 
book to listen to. And it's called Caraval by Stephanie Garner. I want to read that right now. I know. It's, it was good. I haven't heard of that before. Oh, really? Uh-uh. I, yeah. I had seen it sort of. I'd seen it as an advanced copy of it. Mm-hmm. I think, in fact, I have an electronic copy. Uh, and then on Goodreads, in a group that I'm on on Goodreads, we were listing off our favorites so far of the year. And somebody mm-hmm. wrote that this was her favorite. And the way she described it, I can't remember the way she wrote described it but the way she described it I was like sold I yeah. want to read it so um so it was great I probably have it on my kindle if you I check. probably do <laughs> <laughs> I know of the 9,000 books right. on my kindle. um okay so let's go back and list off all the books we mentioned okay I talked about the 13th tale by Diane Setterfield the book of blood and shadow by Robin Wasserman the year of reading dangerously how 50 great books and two not so great ones saved my life by Andy Miller and what I read this week was The Education of Margot Sanchez by Lilium Rivera. And I talked about My Life with Bob, Flawed Heroine Keeps Book of Books, Plot Ensues by Pamela Paul, The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Marianne Schaefer and Annie Barrows, Parnassus on Wheels by Christopher Morley, and what I listened to this week was Caraval by Stephanie Garner. All right, so before I get into my final little spiel here, We are going to be taking a bit of a break again um, for various life reasons. I am moving to a different state for a new job. and is no good. I know. I'm sorry. I mean, Um, it is good for you, but I'm sad. But I am hopeful that in this new position, I will still be able to continue on with the podcast Mm -hmm. or we'll figure out some way to continue it on. Um, And Anne, I don't know if you want to say you have have your own personal reasons. Another medical procedure, um, pretty much the same thing as last Last time. time. Um, Not scary, though. It's not anything that is not easily fixed, but it still requires four to six weeks off yeah. of work. So, so this will be uh, posted June 30th, I th- or no, somewhere June 30th. I think this, this episode will. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're probably looking at not being back until mid August or September at the yeah. earliest, I would guess. So hang in there. We're sorry. We're going to be taking this hiatus. But so just, many books will be read. Yes, so oh, many. Well, no. Not for me. <laughs> Not for you. But I have an interstate I move to do and a new job. A lot of books. <laughs> you will read a lot. I will probably get some audiobook listening in. Yeah. So um, we will come back in August or September. We hope you have a wonderful remainder of your summer. Get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter or email at wellreadpod. We'll still check at gmail.com. We will check all of and that. And we'll be happy for lots of yes. contact. Yes. Um, Please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at BeaufortCountyLibrary.org slash well-read, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode and every other episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading. And we will talk to you in a bit. Yay.